So hello, everyone. Good evening. Uh, very nice to see you all here in this episode, new episode of the Planet Tech Talk, which would be a bit different. How different, you might ask? May I suggest slightly? Uh, it's still a talk, no changes here, but uh, I mean, we still have presenters, but instead of a queue, we'll have a heap. And this time we're gonna have a few questions uh, for you in the form of polls, so uh, keep an eye on that. Uh, the topic of today's talk is triple diamond. What's that? I'm sure you're all familiar with uh, the double diamond method uh, made popular by the British Design Council. And what's better than a double diamond? Exactly, a triple diamond. So uh, by the end of this meetup, uh, by the end of this hour and a half, you'd know more about it, how to apply it, uh, its common pitfalls, and uh, how can it be helpful in your day-to-day -day work. Sounds great, right? Okay, but first, since we're talking about gemstones, allow me to introduce the crown jewels of this event, our wonderful speakers slash panelists. Uh, from beyond the Atlantic, from uh, the Southern Hemisphere and from the Western Hemisphere, from the densest hemisphere, we've got Natasha. Uh, Natasha is a product and user researcher who used her passion for math uh, to excel in political philosophy, uh, spotting patterns, painful points and needs of the people. Uh, Natasha, one question, is the movie Wag the Dog look at, like a documentary to you? Just kidding. Uh, joining Natasha and are Matt and Hulkal, the authors of the podcast you all know and like, The Two Facets. The Two Facets podcast, besides being a great Two Facets podcast, is a podcast that dives deep into the product development topics. That's Two Facets podcast. Remember the name. Is this enough? Keyword density. Oh, good. <laughs> okay. More keywords coming. So yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So back, uh, back to the people behind the Two Facets podcast. Uh, Hunkal is a product designer and doc planner, an active promoter of uh, design sprints, and a person who brings you the inner designer in you in those workshops, whether you like it or not. Just kidding. Everybody likes that so far. Like that so far. And Matt here is a product manager and a common sense enthusiast in Doc Planner with a decade work of experience working in different topics uh, from the HR to the doctor's app to the video consultations and so much more. One of the few people I know personally who can talk for 10 hours on the topic and still make sense. Hi, Matt. Uh, well, at this point, I think I should uh, stop yammering. It's been long enough and what do you say? Should we start? Yes, we shall. Thank you Let's so much go. for the introductions. <laughs> so we will begin today our talk on obviously the triple diamond, but also how we collaborate, you know, in a product team, what are tweaks and, uh, you know, new methods and maybe tools here that we use in our day-to-day -day basis. But to begin with, let's start with a rhetorical question. How do we see the world? I mean, this question seems fairly odd. Like, why are you asking me this question, Natasha? But to be honest, this question is very important. And the way that we see our world, the characteristics of our world, if we see our world in a linear way, 
or if we see our, our world in less of a linear way, in a more unordered, unpredictable way, that will influence from the moment you wake up and you make your decisions to like pick your clothing in the morning to the moment you go to work and, uh, you know, work in a product team or in a project or vis-a-vis um, -a, -vis a business strategy. And what exactly are we talking about, Natasha, right? So like, what type of characteristics are you referring to? So we brought here two ways uh, that you can see, you know, the world, and these have been brought by the literature. So our beautiful philosopher, Karl Popper from the 1990s, he actually brought up like two metaphors that even describe these worlds better. You can call them Lamo, you can call them VUCA, but you can also call them clock and cloud. So what do we mean by Lamo? Yes, the, ac the acronym means linear, anthropocentric, mechanistic and ordered. So just like a, cl a clock, things are predictable, human beings are rational, Every the decision-making process is linear. So I have a preference for a specific type of clothing, for example, and thus this preference will be followed every day. It is predictable thus, and the various of our, I would even say like economic understandings and principles of things take away a lot, uh, you know, these principles into, into account. And here we have the VUCA world. The VUCA world stands for volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous. Here we, the metaphor that Karl Popper uses, which is just brilliant, you know, this world is like clouds. Things are unpredictable. Things shift from left to right. I mean, it is chaotic, but at the same time, if, if we don't take the very extreme version, it's still somewhat systematic. So we can still see it's complex, yes. Um, and then how do we deal with this world if, if, if this is how we see it? This is another question that we're gonna address in a second. But the whole point here is that how you see these two worlds or how you see our world today, if it's in a LAMO lens or in a VUCA lens, that will influence the activities and the way that you just uh, go about on your day-to-day -day basis. So I'm, I'm gonna give you an example to be more practical here. So I started out by talking about the clothing, the clothing example. I like the clothing example. Let's say we were supposed, we are, let's say we live in a llama world. We live in a linear, very uh, centered on rationality world. For uh, in that world, when I would wake up in the morning, I would have to think of, you know, all of the clothing that I have in my closet, what the most appropriate clothing in my closet is based on the weather today. I would make that calculus and I would pick the clothing that I wear today. I'm not so sure I followed those steps today, honestly. Um, if you lived in a VUCA world, right, uh, you actually ordered your closet in a way so that you can pick things as fast as you can. I mean, I don't want to waste my energy picking my clothing, right? So we're talking about a decision-making process here that is not linear. And uh, these two understandings also influence how you see, let's take, let's move to the product world right now, how our users interact with us, what our user decision-making process is, what our stakeholders in, actually as a whole, how they decide. So let me ask, ask you first, which model do you currently use today? There is no right or wrong answer here. We want to encourage 
Folks, um, if you have, if you see the polls button in your Zoom interface, uh, you could click it and the poll would show and it's the first question. So choose uh, one of the four. And if anyone has problems seeing the poll, please write in the chat. We will, uh, we will see what we can do about this, okay? Randomly. I like that answer, a mixture. It's an interesting uh, might exercise, no? To think about mm -hmm. it. Right. Especially when um, we know that our tendency as human beings is to simplify things and to make things like linear. Yeah. But that's our intention. <laughs> we achieve it in the end. <laughs> Both Puka, okay. Both. For the second survey, let's let's wait for the second one. We'll relaunch it at the time. So right now, yes. Please ignore question two for now. Vuka, so we have no Lamo worlds here. Many Lamo, yeah. One. Just for today. Just for day. <laughs> I like this. Depending on the day. Right, perfect. So I think we got to like a stable point. I think yeah. this exercise is is good, and we can talk about this Matt and and home call. But uh, the point being, there there is no right or wrong answer, but we do have evidences today that uh, people are shifting right in terms of the literature on which model they take, and there has been a shift from the llama world, the linear model of looking at things, into the more VUCA world. But of course, there are pitfalls also uh, of the VUCA world, right? Because I mean, if things are very chaotic, not predictable and unordered, how do we deal with this world, right? How do we, uh, can we find any patterns here that can help us? Like, can we look at it in a more systemic way or is it complete chaos? I don't know what you, home uh, call in that. Yeah, so so I really like the answer with sometimes cloud, sometimes clock. This is this this is a lot of my thinking here too. Because like if you think about them, you should treat them as models, no? So similar to physics or mathematics, we need some models, some proxies for ourselves to be able to describe the world. And then, you know, for some occasions, it's just gonna be more appropriate and more productive for you to try to lie a bit and make some not linear processes linear at looking at first. Um, even our process that we're gonna be talking today is not that linear as it may look like. Um, so, so for me, it is a mix of both. So in some cases, like I, I love VUCA being as a, you know, the main navigator, but then switching between the models can be nice to link, uh, I would say, but tell me, uh, Hunka, what, what's your view there? No, I agree totally. So I see the world more like like the VUCA with the clouds, but for sure you need sometimes to have these linear moments, right? Otherwise, how would you even run life in general on a daily basis? So yes, I see that you can have smaller linear things inside your complex world. Um, yeah. Right, and I think that point, call is very important that in the linear world, because uh, things are more predictable and rational, it doesn't take into account that human beings are emotional and that mm -hmm. there are, like, there are other variables there that we also need to take into account. So how I would phrase it is like, 
Uh, maybe we should take other variables into account, emotion, uh, the context, how things are framed, that your own internal biases, those things will influence, right, our, our decision-making process. So in agreement, <laughs> but perfect. I love this exercise. So now let's move on to how exactly do we deal with this world that we have today and what is our perception and understanding of the world? Yeah, so so as you may see from the discussion we quickly had here, um, we lean more towards the VUCA understanding with some bits and pieces of, 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 of the LAMA uh, model too. Uh, but then we have some principles. So first of all, people are neither rational or irrational. So we should not assume um, one or another is true. Um, you should know your reality and its context. So just to give you an example, in Doc Planner, we do work with secretaries. So in like super linear process, you may assume like person clicks a button and then feels some information, information is saved and everything's fine. But then if you add context mix to it, you will see that this person has like, you know, three phone calls ongoing. One person is walking in, three people wants to get a shot for COVID and she's alone there needing to do actions in your system right now. So this changes dramatically how you're gonna approach the design and then the feature that's gonna be developed and the value you can deliver. Um, the other thing is adapting to chaos and ambiguity. So we all know we are working with high-risk projects. So in, in as in majority of the cases with startups or software in general, you work with not defined stuff. So, so there is a lot of risk assigned to it. Uh, so we should be aware of it and embrace it. Uh, we should collaborate to see other points of view. So if we assume um, all of those contexts, emotions and everything else can uh, make uh, important impact of whatever we're doing and producing at the end, more different views we can have, more complete gonna be our view and then we can build more complete solutions. Uh, we should work on the right things to reduce the waste. So it's, this can be controversial, but let's say we can build anything on the planet, like any software team can build whatever is tasked with if, if the skill is there, uh, but it's not you know, smart to just produce. It's much more important to focus on outputs, so focusing on the right things to build. Um, we should be human-centered, but not contextless. So we should be thinking about our users as humans, but keep in mind that all of them are a bit different and they're having different contexts. Uh, we should be finding tools to reduce the risk and uncertainty. So during the process, we should be working with this risk. And then, as I mentioned already, working on outcomes, not the output. So focusing all of our activities on putting as much output as possible to the world, not really focusing on the number of stuff that, that we will ship. So in more practical terms, this means we work with triple diamond. You may be um, familiar with some of the parts of the methodology from Zendesk and British Council. So British Council was the first one, then Zendesk invented the triple diamond, and then we customized it a bit in the planner to use for our uh, needs today. Um, and yeah, during our talk, we're gonna go and deconstruct it a bit. Uh, so we'll start from the first diamond, um, so the double diamond that is focused more on doing the right thing. Uh, you will see what does it mean, um, but here we want to focus on the fact that a lot of problems we're gonna be working on are wicked problems. So there are, those are not 
easy problems or problems with the right solution or one right solution. There is multiple of solution possible for those problems. And it's more in the first diamond, we've tried to find problems that we um, you know, uh, can define and find some solutions that are worth uh, pursuing later on. And then in the third diamond, we focus on doing things right. So this is where the product and development and everything joins everything. Uh, but I will not go into too much detail. Let's focus on the first um, double diamond and let's go through it. Yes. Um, so let's start, let's start with the, the first section of the diamond. And even before we get there, you're like, okay, problem, why problem one, right? We're trying to build solutions here, new solutions or optimizing solutions. And it's like, yes, yes, we, we, we know, we know. We also want to, to build uh, great solutions. But of course, the whole point here is that users are going to use your solution if that solution solves and alleviates a need. Um, and when we're talking about problem, we're talking about needs, desires, pain points, touch points, jobs. Um, so yes, love your solution, but I would say love your problem more. Um, and in this phase, what we do is we open up, right? We open up the, the first diamond, we explore, uh, we look into understanding what the needs are, desires, and of course, like there are differences here. And I think this is where the fun starts, right? Like we're exploring, let's say a specific topic at, at hand, how patients uh, interact and manage their health. Um, I mean, of course we can explore so many things, right? And where can we start? And um, it really depends on where, uh, of course, the type of product, let's say you're looking to build. If you're starting something new from scratch, if you're optimizing, this will make a difference. And I think Matt will later even touch upon it on the third diamond. But uh, the bulk here is that we should, you know, we should be exploring. We should be, it can come from a business objective. Yes. And I think the the very big difficulty is trying to transform something like, let us know, Natasha, as a researcher, how we can um, retain our patients via the chat. I mean, yes, we already have something very solution focused. We have to deconstruct that, uh, rebuild what our questions and our scope would be so that we can understand like what are potential scenarios and needs of, in this case, communication with the specialist, right? Um, and of course, these differences here in terms of needs, desires, these are very important because needs, I would say, are more um, stable. These are things that don't really change. So if we get even Maslow's hierarchy, we have at the very bottom, like physiological needs. These are things and safety needs, which are related to health. These are things at the base and the core of our day-to-day -day, uh, activity for us to you know, live and live well. And so these are things that are stable, they are there. So if we have, let's say a solution that works to alleviate or solve a specific basic need, I would say you're, you know, you are on the target, you got it. But Natasha, what about motivations? What about desires? I mean, these are obviously great points and we need to explore them fully. We need to really understand the market, the user um, in its context. 
But I would say, and this is where it gets fun, we can play around with things, right? Desires are more of a, um, it's like a later phase, right? You have a need, and then maybe you might have new desires that kind of rise from other solutions, past solutions that you use. So we're talking about different levels here of engagement and different levels here of um, like how much effort you're really going to put. Yes, Matt. I just wanted to add here that what we do here and what's the, you know, um, showing our principles is also in, in this point, we do heavily collaborate inside the product team. So it's not that yes. Natasha is alone there. Uh, we try to work with those desires and we see if we see them, we can always, you know, jump and try to bounce them out of the any business goals or product goals that we may have. And then some of those can be just, you know, some of those tough decisions we can make thanks to educating, collaborating with the rest of the product team also. Perfect. Yes. So the demand can come from a business strategy, let's say, but we're going to reconstruct it, right? And we're going to make sure that we have the right scope here at hand, but it can also be the opposite, right? We can have knowledge uh, on these, these problems and that could also help work to find new business strategies, right? So, and great, actually, this goes into the second point, which is, okay, when would do we then move, right? To say, I've explored all of these problems and I trust the data that I have today and I can move on to the next section, which is the, the validation. Of course, it's not as linear, but uh, this is something that we in the research team here at Doc Planner, we, we have been debating a lot. Like, when can we say we trust our data and our insights? Like, what is enough? And a couple of elements that we use here is like triangulation, which is, has a lot to do with what you said, Matt. Like um, we're talking about different types of data. Like one thing is the user telling me that, uh, or like you telling me that you're going to the gym tomorrow. Another thing is you behaving and actually going to the gym tomorrow. So we have triangulation of different types of data, but we also have triangulation of different stakeholders, right? So we can have uh, internal hypotheses, right? And uh, at the same time, we can look and see if there are patterns found also in this exploratory phase. So I think this is a very um, important point for us to really say, like, I trust the insights that I'm gathering. And it's hard because exploring can involve qualitative data and analysis. And when can we say like six interviews is enough? And we can talk about this, but like sample saturation is a whole nother topic, but which is great because then we move, let's say we do trust our data. What we would do then, uh, or our insights, what we would do then next is work to define a problem statement, one or more, right? Of course, it really depends on how wide you're opening this diamond and how many closing points you want to have. But the whole point is, okay, you have initially triangulated your results, found a couple of patterns, but how can we know this is truly an opportunity? How big is this need? This is what we're asking. And this is where we try to really validate, right? In terms of impact, and this can be so many things, right? Impact can be in terms of frequency. It can be the size of the pain point. It can be the importance and the valence that is given to that job, that need. Um, so it is all a question of defining what for you would be an impactful need, right? Based on the topic at hand. And once we have that, it's like we're, we're, we're niching down, like we, we selected promising problems that will be transformed into a problem statement. 
Now, this problem statement section is really important, right? It has to be very clear. We have to have like an understanding of what market or niche are we talking about? What user we're talking about? What need or desire or pain point we're talking about? Um, usually we have this format that we use, which is like, I user have a need, but I have this pain point because of a job, which leads to other emotional consequences. So uh, this, this section is also very important. And I think this is where we collaborate a lot with designers, right, Hong Kong? So yes. <laughs> moving to our next phase. Exactly. So right after exploring the problem space, we will start exploring the solution space, which is the, the second diamond. And here we're still, uh, as Matt explained at the beginning, uh, trying to solve the right thing. But we should not be obsessed here on finding the one solution, like the right solution. Because as we mentioned already, we're facing wicked problems that can have multiple solutions. And also they don't have like a right or wrong solution. Right, there's only, only solutions that work or don't work. So we should have this kind of mindset of we are going to try to find the solution that will solve the problem and that work for the user and that we can build. Um, then, so we start in the, in the problem statement, as Natasha said, that's the connecting point. And this is very important because it will set up the base for us to start ideating. Uh, it will serve as a compass to set up the direction of the solution when we start thinking about where the solution will go. It will set up the boundaries as well of the solutions up to where do we want to, to, to take the solution. And also it will serve as an inspiration for our creativity to start thinking about ideas. And for this, the problem statement should not be too broad because if it's too broad, it's going to be very difficult to solve. It's like trying to find um, trying to have an idea with a blank uh, with a blank page or a blank space, and on the other hand, if it's too narrow, it might even include the solution in it. So we need to be careful that it's not like too broad or too narrow to then start ideating. And then what happens next is that so when our brains listens to a to a problem. Uh, the 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 Natasha, um, <laughs> you can come to the first one, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So when we when our brains listens to listens to a problem, uh, we quickly want to jump into a into a solution. But we want to avoid that because as we said, there might be multiple solutions. So what do we do? How do we do we do that? So we want to try to find tools that helps our brain to connect the ideas on a different way that we would normally do. So then we can come up with solutions we wouldn't have come at the, at the beginning. And tools like this can be, for instance, getting inspiration from other industries or other products that are solving a similar problem. It can be co-creating with peers or with, with stakeholders, even with final users. So then we can see other perspectives and build on top of each other's ideas. And the most difficult part here is to try to not judge the ideas yet. So as you can see, we are opening in the diamond. So we want to be broad and we, we want to allow ourselves to be a little bit wild. Because as I, as, as I said, you want to have your mind taking a different path that it will, normally, it will normally take. And it's been said that for having a one good idea, you need to have like around 60 bad ideas. So imagine if you want to have two, three good ideas, 
you might, I don't know, like a 200, 300 bad ideas. So it is more going for quantity here than, than quality. And yeah, um, then on the, now we can go to my floor. <laughs> Thank you, Natasha. So when, when we arrive to the top of the, of the diamond, we have this big, super big pool of, of ideas. And what do we do next? We want to start thinking, okay, from all of these solutions, what are the next steps? What direction do we take? What do we do next? So first of all, we need to start placing bets on which ideas or which solutions we think that might work better, right? Or might have a better impact. And we will do first just this, just based on our current knowledge and based on assumptions, on things that we believe to be true. But at least we need to have a first guidance to reduce the number of ideas to start drawing the path. We can do this just by conversations with, um, with the team, with stakeholders, or we can use more like a visual map to evaluate the ideas based on, based on some criteria. But the most important thing here is to understand that we are basing our selection on assumptions, things that we don't believe to be true. So uh, to actually move forward, we need to make some validation. Right, Natasha, and you're super experienced on that. So tell us a bit more, how do we validate? Right, so this is when we collaborate again. I mean, we're collaborating like iteratively. So this is a cycle. Sometimes we think we have our problem defined. We go to validate it and it's like, it's not as impactful. There's stuff missing. We go back and we explore again, right? And the same with the solution validation. So here it's again another uh, touch point. And as Hunkal mentioned, we have a series of hypotheses in mind. And okay, like what are these hypotheses? They are based on how um, much this solution is the best, let's say, solution in what we can do in terms of what? Alleviating or solving the need, right? Um, it, it's also related to assumptions about feasibility, desirability, interest, right, in using uh, this, this solution. Um, feasibility, these are all hypotheses or assumptions that will come, as Hunkal mentioned, from internal knowledge, from past research, benchmark, you know, com uh, competition analysis, etc. But here, when we validate, we're talking about an experiment, because the whole point it's uh, really validating the causality, right? The relationship in between the solution that we're developing and the problem in, in a very umbrella term, right? Let's say need uh, that we're looking to solve or alleviate. We're not really getting into the deeds of the experiment. We can also, if you have questions about that, you know, place them in the Q&A, later we can address them. And now it's question time for us. So um, I'm going to relaunch the poll. Should be available again. Okay. Uh, now I, I would ask everyone to check the poll and answer the second question. Where does design fit in the structure, in your opinion, again? Do you see the results? Natasha, Matt, who come? I don't see it. I don't I, see I, it. No. If you still see the Lama Vuka one? Ah, no, it's the, ah, okay. Okay, okay. Cool, cool. So most of the people, yeah. Second diamond only, third diamond only, home call. It does not fit as well. 
It does not fit. People. I'm curious. Yes, yeah, so, so so probably it's worth explaining what are the artifacts we actually generate in those two two diamonds, no? So so we could. Um... So yeah, I mean, shall we wait to for a bit more for the poll, or what do you mean, Matt? Yeah, I would move, I guess, because we have. Okay. Um, so yeah, I we would... have the answer. Yeah. And so. Exactly as Matt says, it depends on what artifacts you want to use, or more, I would say, how do you define design, right? What's for you the definition of design? So depending on that, any answer can be can be correct. It just depends on what you consider. So just for me, add, just, yeah? just the result is all diamonds is the most popular, um, and then mm -hmm. second diamond and the third diamond. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. interesting. It is good. Yeah, so please, yeah. sorry. Continue. No, thank you. Yeah, so so for me uh, to design, I would desi define design as to find a solution to a problem that it's not well-defined. So if we are trying to find a solution to a problem that it's not well-defined, first we need to define the problem, right? And to define the problem, we need to understand the problem space. So based on this definition, for me, the design will start at the very beginning together with the with the very first diamond um and you can also see this if you take the design thinking model so the design thinking it's a process that represents the stages of the design process and it has five stages so empathize define ideate prototype and test and as you can see the first two empathize so understand your users and their problems it's basically the first part of the first diamond um, then we have define, which is defining the problem. So it's the second part of the first diamond. And then ideate, prototype, and test, they are reflected on the second diamond. So as you can see, both the double diamond and the design thinking, they are both representing the, the, the design process. Um, and, and for me, the, yeah, go. There's something I think that also might be interesting for us to define what the solution is, because maybe there's also misunderstandings here. And yes. people have different definitions. I exactly. guess we have one slide that can spoil a bit, no? Uh, with what, how we showed the, the, the ah so yes, let's move to the next slide. Yes, ta da! This are, is the yeah, this we're is speaking about exactly. so far. Um, so, as a highly experienced senior designer, this is the work I do on a daily basis. You can see. <laughs> so yeah, so this can be considered a solution. So in that, in this sense. The design process will extend as well towards the third diamond until the end. So at, at, the, at the end of the second diamond, um, okay, so before in the past, or maybe if you are building an, a product that it's expensive to produce, you need a moment in time where you have a very detailed and finalized and validated design so that you can move this to production because any error or any change will be very expensive. But in digital products, this is not true anymore. So what you would do, or at least what we do, and what I like to do is at the end of the second diamond, let's say, you have a solution defined in the sense of a direction of a solution, a concept of a solution, right? So a very broad um, solution, which can be something like that. And then you will move to the third diamond where this solution will get into much more detail and will get built 
at the, at the same time as it gets more and more detailed. So for me, it extends all toward the, the end of the third diamond as well. So yes, you would be like, okay, then everything is designed. So what do we do? Yeah, we can move to the, to the next slide, yeah. So what happens then? So everything's designed and we only need designers. So it's not really what I mean. So basically the three, the design process is present in the three diamonds, but in each of the stages, we have an owner. So we have someone um, who's highly specialized or has very deep skills on the, on the knowledge required on that part. So for instance, when you're in the problem space, in the first diamond, you need someone who's highly specialized on understanding human needs, on managing big amounts of information and analyzing this information. Uh, so there you can be uh, having the researcher as the owner, in this case, like Natasha, for instance, as we have in the planner. As well in that part, we might need someone who's highly specialized on the business, right? In the first diamond. So someone who can see which of these opportunities from this problem space can have more impact in the business. Another example in the second diamond, when we're thinking about solution, most, most likely the designer will be the owner because like finding solutions can be the core skill of the designer. And same thing on the third one. Maybe the owners are more like the developers or someone who, who is highly specialized on managing this development process of putting all the pieces together and making something that works and be able to, to deliver that. Um, but these professionals, they don't work like in silos. So it's not like I work first, as, as, as Matt said at the beginning, and then I hand over this material to you. So we really need, as we mentioned, uh, tight collaboration here between the roles. And this tight collaboration is what brings us some of the principles we mentioned. So we can get faster product development when, when we collaborate tightly, because we can reduce this waste in the sense that we can replace deliverables and we can replace documentation and handoffs with common understanding, with collaboration, and with just trying to find the solution to the problem together in a way. Um, and another thing that we get as well is that we can find more creative solutions, right? Because when we collaborate, we build on top of the ideas of each other. And these two things being fast and being creative, we said they are essential for the, for the VUCA world, if we consider the world to be, to be VUCA. And just wanted to mention here as well that this collaboration also represents that the process is not linear. Right, because the lines now between the roles and the different phases start to be very blurry and they overlap to each other. This is what collaboration brings us. And as and well, very, some, yeah, sorry, I wanted to say that it's also super normal that you know during this collaboration, you're going to create much more diamonds through it. So at any stage, you can actually find out new diamonds to start. So, and then the whole cycle starts again. So you're never at one stage at the one moment. So. Yes, like you can be having multiple problems you find and then you open multiple diamonds for solutions or you can even come back like maybe you're experimenting at the end of the second diamond and then you decide that after the, the result of the experiment you're not moving to development because you found new problem or new opportunity and then you're moving back to the to the first diamond. So in this uh, context, what kind of uh, people do we need so they are able to collaborate tightly and, and work together? So basically, um, it's what we call the T-shaped roles. So maybe, Natasha, if you can move to the next one, just so to visualize. Yeah, so this is just a visualization of the type of 
uh, roles that we that we normally need in this type of environment. So someone who's highly specialized on one skill or one domain, but at the same time has other skills and specializations, so more generalist knowledge that allows them to collaborate with other roles, like a designer who knows a bit about research or a developer who knows a bit about interaction patterns or, or design and these kind of examples. Yeah. Or developers, you know, joining interviews of customers. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> and, and don't forget the, the data analysts who help us with, you know, statistical uh, relevant data when we're talking about validation too. So defining success metrics once we have the solution, you know, really defined. So of course, I love this T-shaped model. I think it's a, a great visualization of, of what we're talking about. Cool. So um, yeah, we have another question now, Sergey. Yeah, this one is um, open-ended. Uh, so uh, we would ask our dear audience to use the chat for that. How does delivery fit in the structure, in your opinion? And please use the chat window. Meanwhile, there is a suggestion from, uh, there is a request from Jakob to show uh, the T model again. Yes. This T model, I like it as well for people like me who it's super curious about everything. Like we cannot commit to one thing, then it's like, okay, this is for me. <laughs> I can keep like picking from here and there. But we also try to embrace it in uh, all product teams. So it's not that you need to be like super uh, extroverted or another way. Um, it's, it's, it's just continuous collaboration with the team and then being exposed just, just at some moment makes you, makes you better. So it's also a lot depends on the mindset. If how open are you for um, the full collaboration, and how much you expect, as you may see in some some places, like you know the handoff or a bit more um, structured deliverables. Okay, I think we don't have many answers to the question, so we can. <laughs> that, that's that's an understatement. Yes. So yeah. maybe it's a difficult question. Yeah. Maybe last uh, chance. I would say that majority, the, like 99% of the cases, you're going to end up with delivering the third diamond. So this is the change from what the British Council proposed. Um, in some of the cases, you're actually going to maybe delivering some things in the second diamond. So in some cases, you know, validation going to happen through maybe A-B testing. So you will deliver some stuff, maybe you'll call, but it's going to be much more small so let's assume that in the first two diamonds we try to validate problems through the most cost-effective ways that does not include development because development is in general costly right i'm not meaning like in terms of how much we need to pay but it's in terms of time and how much um you know power gonna be put into the end solution given to the customers we need to make sure that before we want to make this investment we are sure that the problem we want to attack is worth attacking. And then if we are sure, then next slide, please. Um, so leaving the, 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 the two diamonds, we're entering the third one where we 
treat the design concept that Hunka was talking about as a starting point. So there is no handoff, it's continuous. Um, we have just visualization of diamonds, but there is no handoff. And what we start uh, is solution development. So since we have like a definition and let's say boundaries for a solution, uh, the teams, meaning engineering, design, research, data, like everybody together works in, you know, iterative agile techniques. So different implementation and different techniques may be present. Some may use Scrum, some may use ShapeUp, some may use Kanban. So there are gonna be different techniques, but through the cycles, they try to define the solutions more. So get into more fidelity of the design, uh, some of the usability testing may be happening here. So we are lowering risk with low, with like defining the solution that we want to build going further um, towards the initial rollout. So at this stage, we probably gonna have deliverable and we we're gonna be ready to launch it to some of the customers that we believe are the good fit to validate if the end solution actually delivers and, and all of the hypotheses we had along the way are true on a smaller scale. So obviously we don't want to burn the market like they first to ship the wrong solution to everybody. Um, so here we try to focus on how much value we deliver to the users in this initial tests, find any problems with the solutions. And we are also at this stage, we are very flexible and agile to, to change. So, so this is still moment for us to pivot or change according to the feedback. So we are open to change the solution. Closer to the end of this initial rollout, um, we believe that we are on a spot with the solution and then we move to rollout to everybody. So general availability of the feature. And in this stage, we focus mainly on learning. So we, if we had the good success metrics and we had good understanding of our problem, at this stage, we can understand if the if the solution we propose solves the problem in a scale that we expected to see in this in this in this place, and from this stage of learning, we actually can source very much the very beginning of the diamond, so the very first diamond, uncovering possibly I don't know new new iterations or finding new patterns in the new reality that we just created with the solution, or we may find out that everything was bad and. Well, the risk is always there. Um, so we may ship something wrong at the end, but this is this is always always possible. And I guess the point here also, Matt, is that like um, sometimes when we get too excited and we you know move already, let's say to the development phase, is that it's kind of like, I mean, of course, we always want to learn, but the whole point is like you're shooting in the dark where always. you mm -hmm. where you mm -hmm. could be shooting at a target, right? Yeah. Where you could have defined niche market needs, problem, solution. So yes, I mean, it, I guess it's a, yeah. You can, you know, you can relate it to um, ha hammer and the nails. So, you know, you may show a hammer to someone and ask if the nails are doing the right job with the hammer. So if you can nail the, 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 the nails with the hammer, the person probably gonna say yes, you still don't know if he was building a building or a roof or if actually it's a playable to his life. It's just, yeah, yeah, you have beautiful hammer. I will never use it. So it, it is very important to understand to whom and why you want to do it. And then all of the things we do in the first diamond and activities at the beginning of the third diamond are here to try to minimize the risk. So 
I wouldn't say we have a target, but you know, we have like a, some idea about where the target may be at this stage and then where are we shooting in which direction. So yeah. And and moreover, I would also say that sometimes we see this problem a lot, which is like um, even new startups, they have like early adopters, but when they want to cross that chiasm, like really jump and really talk about retention, it's like they're lacking it. And, and to be honest, like I, I think there's a high correlation with like really understanding the needs and the problems and things that are really like, I mean, more, more and so like stable and, and how actually they will be able to cross this chasm and, 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 you know, retain the users that they want to retain. So just another, this is, this is, you know, product market fit, uh, searching one-on-one. So at its yeah. fullest, yes. Yeah, but, but but this is the definition. So a, a bit outside, but if you ever think about the product market, this is this is what you're looking for, right? So you're looking from where I'm sitting for a replicable business model that you can keep reapplying in a sustainable way. But from solution perspective, this means what exactly what you've been saying. So this is uh, true collaboration and having different views. As you see one of our principles, you can get the full picture. And then the decisions are just much more well-educated. Cool. So maybe yeah. to see the, yes. Yeah, so maybe for our audience to explain a bit. Well, I mean, maybe we can give an example for this. And the good thing in the planner is that we have an environment where we, where it's allowed to fail, let's say, right? Because if you really want to find something that is creative, something that is new, something that is different, you should allow the people to, to just try things out and, and be able to fail as well. So instead of bringing you like a success case, I, we wanted to bring you a project that we tried to apply the third diamond and it didn't go so well. So here we can share the learnings of how we could improve for the, for the next time. And to the failure one, yes. I want to say that it's actually um, better to keep failing or maybe not mm -hmm. keep, to fail early. So, so, so the process and the diamonds are for us to fail as early as possible. Uh, but then we want to have like a fast throughput through the diamonds so we can fail also with the production stage. So sometimes, yes, we will be hitting the initial rollout and we'll find out that nothing happened, just bad idea. That's, that's normal. Like if you go and check like big product teams and big product organizations, that's just normal that they run hundreds or thousands of concurrent experiments just trying to test different ideas and failing a lot of times. But this is why we want to have fast and agile processes there to, 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 to make it possible. Yeah. So failures helps us move faster even and because learn. we learn so, faster and yeah. So the reward, reward is if you fail and you learn, then smaller chances you're gonna fail with the same problem again with different solutions. So it's just minimalizing the risk again and it's just working towards how we can make it uh, not hurting us a lot when we fail, basically. Okay, so in this story with our learnings with the triple diamond, <laughs> maybe Matt, you can tell us how everything started. Like, what what was the problem discovery at the beginning? Like, what was the context? Yeah, so uh, that's gonna be an example where we skipped some parts, or maybe we will sum up in a minute. Um, and Natasha, please jump in. So when it came to the problem discovery, I believe we jumped into the solution. So, so we had a 
one of the feedbacks coming from of the customers um, that was super defined. And I, I believe in the problem definition discovery, we just took this problem as a problem statement. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I think the, the, the learning here is that we took the feedback, but this feedback was based on what they wanted and what they wanted as a solution, but not exactly what they felt and what the need was. And I think like one thing for us to really think about here is like users, they don't know what they they don't know what they want. They know what they need mm -hmm. and feel. So it's a question of also like thinking, okay, I'm getting this feedback, but I'm getting a feedback based on a solution. Should I take it for granted? I mean, no, right? I mean, the answer here. So Just yes, that was the case. Focus a bit more on why, right? We would keep asking the question why um, you need this. Exactly. But I need to give an example, we, we skipped this part. So we took it as a problem and as a fact. And then the other thing that we did here was, so we did some data validation, uh, but we basically validated that in other research run in a different context, we had similar mm -hmm. feedback popping in as a trend. Um, but you know, it was totally detached research that had some anecdotal evidences in it. So we did get a bit lost into really liking the idea we saw. Uh, I would say in the problem, mm -hmm. um, yeah, in, in this stage, in the problem discovery. And then, so were there any problem definition? The problem definition was just the request from the user. So this user uh, sent this request and that was the problem definition for us. It wasn't really based on the need and because we didn't really fully discover the need. So it was like uh, XX uh, type of user, you know, desires, and then you have uh, YY, but this Y is like solution oriented, not necessarily problem uh, need oriented. Yeah. Okay. And very superficial, maybe as well. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, I do yeah. believe we were a bit retrofitting like the solution that we saw into our own, you know, um, templates of the documents. So we knew we need to have some problem definition. So we wrote it. Uh, but we didn't back it up with with uh, like discovering and deep understanding of why uh, this solution. Yes, because sometimes it's difficult when you already see the solution, kind of you have it in your mind to to take a step back, right? That's a bit that's a bit tough. So I guess if we already had the solution, did we do any ideation or I guess maybe smaller one inside the same solution kind of thing or, or how was it the solution discovery? So the problem here was well, maybe not a problem process. So how mm -hmm. we understood this at the moment. So it's not that you know, uh, no shame. So it's not that <laughs> did it on purpose. It's just how we applied it to our own lives, and and you know, so others doesn't need to have it. Uh, but when it came to the solution in the original feedback, some parts of the solution were already included. So like the boundaries or the naming of a of a solution was already there so it was guiding us towards like hey we, we probably can add this new value to already existing feature so we were trying to retrofit like new value proposition on top of the existing feature so we said like hey they share similar name we don't fully understand the why so why not to come together with those two um to to, to see it 
And I think something yeah. else there is that we had a previous solution already that was very similar and we loved that solution. So it's like, it was hard to take a step back and also, you know, look at the problem statement, which also wasn't, you know, as clear defined in terms of the need and to even think outside of the box. So that ideation section of like thinking outside of the box wasn't really something done. It was like, cause we had this solution in the back of our head and we love solutions and we like stick to it. So sometimes it's good to like have your mind like not thinking about like solutions when you really ideate like previous solutions, right? Yeah, and the, and this is uh, this as well comes from the problem definition. So it it seemed to be too narrow. So it was too narrow the problem definition that it included the solution already. So how much you can open the next diamond? Very little. So yeah. And then yeah, well, Matt, do you want to, to add something? I'm just breathing, so keep going. <laughs> No, I was going to ask you, okay, so the solution was very clear, right? So I guess there were some type of validation before moving forward or how was it? Yeah, so there we was. did, um, yeah, yeah, sorry, Natasha, go. No, 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 I was going to say that there was validation uh, and we did look at metrics that were mostly related to like usability and even interest. But again, it's the hammer metaphor, Matt, that you could you could share here again. Um, it's like we were focusing and ready on, on a solution and we were like biasing our users in that sense and not really understanding how much it addressed the need because the need wasn't even as defined, right? So, so, so yeah, you can imagine if we want to the hammer, it's like we would meet people that needs to build a house. And instead of asking them what kind of a house they need to build, or maybe it's prefabricated and they just are looking for furniture, we were asking like, does this hammer work for you? without asking like, whatever, it's just, hey, we have hammer, do you like hammer? And a lot of people were telling us, yes, this is hammer, it will hammer nails, very nice hammer. But none of them tell, told us, I actually, or we didn't ask those them if they need a hammer in their life or if they're building, mm -hmm. for example, mm -hmm. wooden house right now. Um, and then this probably be a bit more useful to them uh, than in other cases. So, so we did the validation, but we asked about the solution and not the um, feasibility or viability of this solution for them, really. Yeah, this can happen. It's a common mistake with usability testing. This can totally happen. So you have your solution and you show it to users, but we are, what you're validating is just the usability of it. Can you navigate? Can you finish the actions? But yeah. not any deeper than that. So it got... It got delivered now to our customers? Yeah, of course. So since we were in love <laughs> with everything and we justified every every decision along the way, uh, we totally shipped the solution um, and we went into the initial rollout in which we saw two things. So we did sell the validation of the questions we asked. So usability-wise, the hammer was working and it was a really nice, nice hammer, but was not producing an impact in a place that we've been hoping for, for this solution to be. So we, we did had some success metrics and we believed like, hey, this will drive some of them towards. So the customers will have more engagement with the platform because we're giving them the right solution for a given problem. But we couldn't see it like actually happening on this stage. So we did make the decision to launch it to bigger customer group, almost everybody. And we still didn't saw the results that we were hoping on at the end. So 
Um, since you know we had the process at the end, we found out okay the risk was until the very end, and the solution that we shipped was not delivering any real value, or maybe was delivering value to, to the niche, but this was the mismatch with what we were targeting at the very end, or believing when we read this first feedback and like went so much in love with the solution that we didn't stop and ask ourselves, okay, but why? Like, why are you doing this right now? So um, this was the, the story, um, basically, yeah. This was the end. What happened? Like we <laughs> yeah, we took yeah. it out, no? In the yeah. end, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It basically, we failed with the with the experiment, and then we are exploring new diamonds nowadays. Um, mm -hmm. Like, let's, yeah. So what what you can see here is um, during this this process, we treated the triple triple diamond a lot as a checklist, mm -hmm. and. And, and we had a few other problems. So, so we wanted to list like the should nots or the problems and mistakes we made in that process. Um, so one thing was that we blindly listened to what users wanted and, and focus a lot on this output versus the outcome. So we didn't ask like why they needed, what's gonna change in their life, what's the context of, of the need. Um, we did fall in love with the solution and thus we treated hypothesis as a fact. So, you know, once you're in love, some of the things just go easier towards you. So a lot of stuff that you're gonna be telling, you're just gonna be taking as fact because yes, this is an amazing solution. Yes, we heard it from the customer. So it's not even assumption, we, we love it. So, so it's a fact. Um, as I said, also we, we treated parts of the model as a checklist. So. You know, we had problem definition, we created a document for the problem discovery, um, but it was a lot of checklist. Um, we didn't have like super clear success metrics. So, you know, as I said, we crossed the data from different researchers and, and some data points, but there were no clear of, um, so by clear success metric, I mean, uh, you may in your practice have situations where you're gonna launch it and you're gonna have 100 customers. You should be able to say if 100 customers is good or bad because in the, depending on the context, it may be very bad or amazing. So if you're bootstrapping and this is your first 100 customers, congratulations. <laughs> if you're having five, 15,000 customers and after a year you can engage a hundred, you're probably in a very bad position right now. So having the clear success metrics and being able to like guide you, you, you at the end of this is, is really important and will also help you out to not justify patching. So not getting into the building trap because this is the easiest one. If you end the diamond, you don't see the result. There is the urge of, but let's add a few more features on top and it's gonna fly. Um, success metrics protect you from this. So it's either working or not working and you should rethink instead of patching. Um, and then, yeah, we kept iterating without meeting the success criteria. So we got a bit here into the building trap and we tried to justify through launching a few more iterations to try to see if we can make some impact at the end with the, with the feature. So those are the things you should avoid when trying to work with this model. And something Matt, that also is important here, because we also mentioned like, when you ask the question of like, where does delivery or deliverables, you know, where are they? Uh, our, our delivery. And uh, sometimes like having these points where, okay, I think we have enough. And of course, like 
enough would be, you would have to define what that is, right? How much do we trust what we have? And like, if it's enough to move on, I mean, those points, they might be more important mm -hmm. <laughs> than we think, right? Maybe we could avoided a couple of our, of our, uh, the should nots here. For sure. And it's super important, you know, um, as we believe in a lot of liberty and, and, and democracy here in product teams, it, it, it is a, you know, constant process of all of the teams working on the balance between this. So where is the, we don't need an, any more discovery in this place or are we always mm -hmm. in discovery? And the same is with the data, the, both quantitative and qualitative. So it's always trying to find the balance for, for the problems. And then, you know, from business practice, you're gonna be seeing problems with different level of possible investment of time, money or anything else. So then you can try to justify if you have something that's mission critical for you, I would really recommend trying to go through rough process on validating this one. If those are just, you know, improvements in places, maybe you don't need to apply the full technique. Um, so, so, so you need to try to find the balance or maybe you will apply the full, but you just need like few interviews in at some moment. Yeah. And I guess moving, moving fast and working on the smaller pieces helps as well. So you don't have time to fall in love a lot with your idea, no? <laughs> Yeah. Yep. So, so uh, this marks the end of the main presentation, right? Yeah. Okay, we have some questions from our attendees. Uh, some of them were in the Q&A section, some of them were in the chat section. Uh, I'm gonna try to go in the order of uh, their appearance. And I'm gonna unmute people who were asking them in case they want to, no, I, I'm gonna allow them to talk. This is the feature of the webinar and they can unmute, unmute themselves if they want to specify something else. Yeah, so please, please. Sounds good. Love to have some discussions, yeah. Okay, uh, so the first question was from Anna and the last one from Fernando. Do you use or prefer a specific formula to frame the problem? Yes, I think this was a discussion we had about the problem statement, right? Uh, so we are not going to frame the problem when we're exploring because we're trying to really understand like all of the, the context. And then as we said, like things are not linear, right? So sometimes you even have to see the flow of things and how needs relates to pain points, to jobs. So, um, so in that, in that first part of the opening, we wouldn't say we would define, right? We would use a frame to define. But when we're closing the first diamond, this is when um, we have already evaluated via, it could be quantitative data, but it also could be triangulation of data, um, like how big this opportunity is, this problem at hand, and the frame we use to define this, to like move along is the problem statement. So I did say like when I was, uh, talking, I did mention something like uh, the user or the niche or the market has a need or desire or uh, motivation. We could even put here, but I would say there are differences here and we can talk about it, but they have a pain point, if they do have a pain point, Z, which leads 
to an emotional consequence. So like we phrase it all in one phrase. <laughs> well, that was a cacophony here. We put it all in one phrase and that's like the problem statements frame. And then we will have <laughs> through the process, we will also have few more problem statements using different formulas also. So in the design, we will use how might we from, from Google design sprints. And then in product, we'll heavily lean towards like lean startup and trying to have hypotheses that encapsulate the user behavior we want to see at the end of the experiment and include the success metric in it. So it's like in the next six months, I want to see 1000 customers using 80%, like having 80% of an engagement. So this is on my success metric. And I would not say it's nice if it's gonna be less than 50. Um, so, so it's gonna be something like this. So, so we're gonna have few of them depending on the stage in the diamond and how much we know in detail about the problem or solution that we're delivering at this moment. And moreover, <laughs> sorry, Hunko, you can go first. Now I was gonna say that my favorite is the how might we that Matt mentioned. That's super good for ideation because it's telling you already that there is a solution there. No, it's like bringing you to, okay, let's think together for a, for a solution, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was going to add that we also uh, relate a lot the problems to the solutions or I don't like, I mean, you can call problems also opportunities here, right? Because then mm -hmm. we already validated them. Um, like, for example, with, uh, with Matt, uh, we have been working on like problem uh, solution trees. That's also another way for us to like organize and frame these, um, the connection in between the first diamond and the second diamond, for example. Uh, just to add context, opportunity solution trees from book Continuous Discovery from uh, Torres. Teresa Torres. <laughs> Teresa Torres. Highly recommended um, if anybody is interested in, in discovery habits. Okay, um, Anna, does this answer your question or maybe you want to use your mic time? Yeah, Anna, if you want, please. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it answered it. And thank you so much. Much clearer. Uh, I've just put the question probably before <laughs> we arrived at this point. So thank you a lot. Okay, thank you, Anna. Awesome. awesome. Thank you. All right. We have next uh, our next question in the chat from Jakub. Would you have an advice for bootstrap startup on how to run this three diamond process with low budget on a shoestring budget, so to speak? Yeah, so um, I, I would say, if I can start, Gareth, please join in whenever yes, you want. I think so. I think you're the best. <laughs> I, I, I love the topic. So uh, I would try to go, you know, so triple diamond, design thinking, um, all of those techniques or models, uh, they're here to like minimize the risk you're, you're going to have. So if it's more you're a founder and you're thinking more business model and sending like business hypothesis, I would really recommend Lean Startup um, as a book or methodology to use in case of bootstrapping and trying to do it because the, the idea is the same. So if we want to build a startup, right? So at the end of the day, we want to have this product market fit with replicable business model and then sustainable way of selling. This is applicable to features as well. So in features, we just change business model per usage and it's going to be fun. Uh, so you're always going to start with some assumption and some hypothesis and ideas about problems you want to solve, right? So what your startup is doing and bringing a value to your customers. Um, and then what's proposed in the book is actually trying to validate all of this. So you usually start from interviews, um, maybe validating some of the hypotheses with this 
then later you will you would move into MVPs, trying to shape one or another MVP, and you know continuously trying to validate the hypothesis that you have. The low cost part there is you would actually move to development delivery in the last moment possible. So you would ship at the moment you would be sure. So what you do is a lot of you know lean experiments like fake tests, um, landing pages. You can do a wizard of Oz sometimes, so you just don't need to require code. You can play around with prototypes, but it's much more important to validate the problem before you go to development. Um, so then the three triple diamond, I would say it's crucial to have that first two. Um, and then techniques are different in lean and, and double triple diamond, but the general idea is the same. So you start with some ideas and you try to verify how possible they are through series of cheap, respectively cheap experiments for your case. Um, and, in the, and in terms of cost in, uh, in, in validating the, your hypothesis related to the market and the problem, what I would say is that to diminish, I mean, this cost, it, it would be like a human cost, right? Like time cost, I would say. But what you would do is like you would classify your hypothesis, how strongly or not strongly do you agree with them and which ones you believe, like, let's say more strongly with. And then you're going to tackle that niche and you're going to find the problems and needs related to that niche. Right. And then if you don't see a pattern in needs, you go back and you go to your second hypothesis of your niche. Um, and, and in that sense, it's like iterative, but at least you're. It's like you're putting your eggs in a basket that you believe is more promising instead of spreading it out and doing like full exploratory discovery. Yeah, tip here is also you should focus probably first on the most risky hypothesis. So, you know, every time you're building software, you believe, yeah, we're gonna build this amazing software and it's gonna be huge and fine, but there's this one foundation hypothesis on the bottom of everything and this, this doesn't work then you're screwed. So, you know, you try to order them through how much risk they present and how much you can go for it. And in terms of costs also, both deliverables, ads, or, or human time, it is really important to keep in mind the scale. So um, we are not talking here about thousands of interviews done in six continents. A lot of times we're going to be moving by three interviews saying, okay, good enough, let's move further and it's fine. And, you know, as a founder to founder, I would say really nice and well time spent if you, if you find out early on that you could avoid some stuff or find competitive advantage through going really deeply into the why and understanding the context and the needs. I agree with that one. Like regarding design would be similar. Like if you're starting, you don't need a UI kit. You don't need a, you know, a full system for designing. You just need the, the super basics. And as well here, super important, the T-shaped roles and the collaboration, right? To allow us to move as fast as possible. And yeah. yeah. So Kuba, did, did we help you? Yes, yes, thank you very much. It was really helpful to hear that. And I think that, yeah, I'll try to use this knowledge. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, we will jump uh, to your second question a bit later. But uh, first, there was a question from Christina and uh, Everyone, okay, she disappeared. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she was you know, want to talk. If I butcher yeah. if I butcher anyone's name, it's not on purpose, it's just my revenge on the world for butchering my second name. 
Right, so uh, the questions from Christina were the following. Do you have a manual for solution development for teams or each team works differently? Mm. I would say all of them work differently. I mean, yes. uh, so we do have some common objects, uh, meaning like we do tend more towards the project should be time bounded. So there can be sprints of two, six, seven weeks, whatever works for a given context in the team. So we have some mutual agreements between the teams about timings, let's say. Um, point being that they need to be there, not agreement of something is a length of two and it needs always to be that. Uh, but then all of the teams have full freedom over the framework they're gonna work in delivery. So if it's agile, if it's scrum, if it's shape up, if it's their own methodology they're, they're invented, as long as it works and embraces the general ideas of continuous discovery and the fact that we need to, you know, be focused on the value delivered to the customers. This is totally fine and it's working for the teams. Um, yeah, so, so we, we don't really have a manual, meaning like a template or anything like this, how you should build the solution. And at I the end of the day, will... even if you, sorry. No, no. <laughs> no sorry, no. even if you agree on a methodology, you will see that in time, the team will evolve it and will change it and will make, their, will make it their own. So anyway, it's gonna be different, yeah. Or even switch methodologies, right? We had that too. We started with one. Sometimes it could not, it doesn't work. I mean, it really depends on the dynamics that we have, right? And that could mm -hmm. also. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. Okay, and I think this is uh, the interesting one. How do you manage learning process? It looks nice, but in real life, the problem is how to learn cross company, cross teams. The learning process. The learning this, process. The learning process, okay. Right, the learning process can be like, one of the one of the pillars would be the sharing right sharing and making sure that everything that we are delivering is in an empathetic format that people can really understand and it has also impact so it is related to what people want to see in terms of business strategies so there is like the sharing element and everything that comes with it there's also like the intaking of it. Sometimes like just sharing things is not enough. Sometimes we have to like be a little bit more interactive, like have workshops, have demos, have, um, you know, uh, a more like one-to-one -one or explanatory section to it. I think these are two things that I'm, I'm thinking here. But of course we need like a process of, managing all of these deliverables, making sure it's uh, people are accessing it and it is accessible, but also making sure like they engage with it, right? And fully understand it and build off of it. So something, sorry, just one other point is that we've been working a lot here at Doc Planner at like aggregating our knowledge and making sure we see the full picture and we see like where these insights are related to the full picture. Yeah, and, and to add here, there's also like, as mentioned by Hunkal before, um, <clears throat> we do encourage everybody to be engaged through the process. So you can have mutual understanding. So instead of building documentation, we can have teams that are experts in the domain. So the one important thing in the planner is we don't slice teams technology-wise. 
the teams are divided by the values they can deliver to different types of customers. So it's not that we have a search team, we have a team working on patients. So then, you know, uh, you need the full context and then inside these domains, you'd know much more. The moments of crossing of the domains are amazing actually, usually, because it's, we can start crossing nodes from different parts and find, starts finding like acceleration points in some of the ways. So it's like, if you have a team working on chat and you have a team working on prescriptions, how about sending them through the chat? No, it's like you, you start seeing them uh, but you're coming from the values of the of the of the customer that you can deliver. So you're trying to search knowledge that is reliable to this. And then we have people that are accountable for this knowledge. If you need to find them, you usually can find a specialist for a given part of a value chain you want to do. Um, yeah. And I wanted to add here about the engagement that Natasha said that one thing that researchers do that I love and really engage the teams is that they they ask the teams what do you need to know. Because developers and designers were like building solutions on a daily basis and you come up with questions of things you have unanswered. So the researchers are like, okay, give, give them to me. And, and then we own a bit more the results of the research as well. It's like more part participative. Yeah. Okay. Um, there is no one to tell you whether they answered the question or not. <laughs> Hopefully we did. Yes, another one from Jakub. Uh, what was the first problem of Doc Planner actually? Matthew should know. Um, there is no single answer to it, unfortunately, because we originated and we from different companies. Um, so depending on what you ask for. Um, so the very, very original, as you're Polish, I guess, you may know Zanelekash. So the very, very first one, we were trying to solve an issue of when you call a clinic, you have no clue which of the doctors is good. And in Poland, you know, we may be not that trustworthy and saying every doctor is good. So we believed back in the day that the, the problem we can try to solve is for you to be able to pick the good doctor. Um, that was, you know, 12 years ago. Um, so we evolved a bit from that moment. Um, and today we are trying to solve a bit different thing. So we call it making the healthcare experience more human. Uh, but if you look at the general experience in healthcare for both patients and doctors, there is a lot of digitalization and processes that actually take time from you and the doctor and spending time with each other. So it's like you have long lines, check-ins and, and a lot of processes. And then the same for the doctor is like, writing notes, answering patient calls and everything just takes the time from being there with the patient and focusing on the healthcare right now and the care that we can deliver to the patients. So what we try to do is remove those distractions from both patients and doctors. It should be transparent. So process of accessing and going through the healthcare should be just transparent for you. Um, and then if we can do it, let's see. Uh, but this is the problem we want to try to solve. So instead of having 15 minutes visits with the doctors on average, we really would like to see a world in which you can have an hour call with a doctor and it's really in deep and can help you out. Uh, but for this, we need to work on both sides of the, of the fence. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. That sounds great. Thank you for your answer. Thanks, Jakob. Okay, next question comes from Kiara, I hope I pronounced your name correctly. Uh, how much time do you dedicate to the first two diamonds? How much time do designers working in development teams spend 
for the first two diamonds compared to their development work? Good one. So <laughs> from the designer, I would say that you can be talking in weeks because we normally work on, on small things, right? So you would have like, a, in our case, you would have a bit of, of a more strategic uh, research going on. And here there is the designer will take part maybe in lots of two weeks or stuff like that, trying to see this problem definition and see solutions. And then maybe another two, three, four weeks working with, with developers more or less. Yeah. Uh, I guess I guess it depends on the size too of things, but yeah. and the scope, but and also how much time you have, how fast you do your stuff, because I mean everyone has a dynamic, right? Like I personally enjoy working with multiple projects, let's say at the same time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but I, I I agree with you on the timeline home call. It's like weeks and, uh, you know, one, one to two weeks and then development, I guess it also depends on the size. On the size. Yeah, as an example, yeah, as an example, okay, awesome, thank you. Um, so, so just one thing that I would add to this is also in the teams where we do apply like continuous discovery, um, then you can have a problem with assuming the timeline because you're always in every place at the same time. Yes. Especially as a designer, you're, so I can spoil. So in some of the teams we do have a weekly or bi-weekly meeting that's focused more on a discovery track. So we have meetings focused on like, what are the questions for the future and bets we want to put? And then in parallel to that, you would have the delivery track, which is already working on one or multiple solutions for different diamonds, let's say. So this can be parallelized also. So then we have designers as phone call sometimes working in both in parallel, basically. Um, mm -hmm. Something we also do take into account, one, one last thing, Sergey, sorry. I get excited about <laughs> the topic, um, is that of course we don't wanna overwhelm our users and customers and like bombard them with experiments, with research. Uh, I mean, it's very niched, uh, right? Many times it's very niched to then uh, ex be expanded when we're evaluating the, the impact, but we do also follow some type of, uh, of a process, right? And knowing where, where we can actually send and communicate with, with these users, so. Yes. Thank you very much for your answer. Yes, it's very interesting, especially considering what Matt said about uh, continuous discovery, because uh, it's about balancing the time uh, in between one and the other without sacrificing development as well. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. All right, next question is from Grzegorz. Again, sorry if I don't pronounce your name correctly. And this is a long one, so... Are product managers on your site actively working on all the diamonds? Or do you use some mix of PM plus PO, where, for example, PO takes over the third diamond backlog stuff? Let's start with this. Uh, you know what? <laughs> well, uh, hard to tell. Uh, so in general, the product managers will be in majority of the steps in the process, uh, we do have different approaches per team. So some in some of the configuration, we will have a product manager joined by a product owner 
Um, I'm not a big fan of the title, um, but it's more like having uh, two people working on the why and delivery. So the product manager will be trying to look at the whole diamond and we may have a product owner focused a bit more in delivery and helping team to like go through this, the risking and defining the solution at the end. So then the product owner works more as a facilitator for a team inside the third diamond and trying to help them out to drive towards the value. Um, in some of the cases, the PM gonna fill in, in you know, because it depends heavily on the size and the, the preference of a team, actually, how many roles they do want to have. Um, so again, a bit of liberty in our case. Um, what's so, there? Matt, yeah. just like what you said, POs would be more inward facing. PMs yeah. are more outward facing mm -hmm, right, mm -hmm. in that sense. Yeah. Uh, but then in terms of uh, how we manage time practically and how to be in multiple time places at the same time, the answer is having autonomous teams. So the processes that we describe, we do have product managers and product owners in there, but we are more as consultants and guidance there than uh, managers or stakeholders or anybody that needs to do seal of approval of a solution. So we are in a lot of cases, we are not needed. So a lot of ideation can be done, you know, with any co configuration of a team of a product team. So you can think of product more as a, a profile or a role in a product team uh, than like any, you know, roadblock for for further product team. So a lot of time it's gonna be team working on defining the solution and we are there just if they need any help or need any guidance towards more uh, the business goal, but we don't do micromanagement or we don't try to, you know, as product managers, we will never own the solution space. We own product space, a problem space or opportunity space, depending on the naming you're gonna choose. And we are responsible for the solution, but we don't own the solution. Solution is built and owned by the team because of their expertise. So, you know, uh, they're gonna be better designers, better researchers, better data analysts, better uh, engineers. So they can produce much better solution than whatever I would design. Of course, depending on the stage, you're gonna have less roles in the team. So you need to be a bit more crafty sometimes, but this is generally how we try to approach it. So we are there to guide and help, but we are not there to micromanage and you know, talk about details of the implementation with the team. So this is decision up to the home call and the engineering team at the end. Yeah. And I want to add here that if the team is ready for this, this setup of being the owners of the solution, because of course you need some, some level of seniority, but if the team is ready and you give them this autonomy of, hey, you are the owner of the solution, then the engagement, it's really, it's really high in all the team members and yeah. All right. And we have a follow-up question from Grakash. You mentioned Titoris. Uh, do you use her technique? For example, mentioned, I think it's a opportunity solution tree, right? Yeah. Uh, when you identify your problems, opportunity space, as she calls it. So like an input for the diamonds. Yeah, this is, this is basically our starting point for the diamonds. So whenever we identify from, if we look at the wider experience map or experience of our customers, taking consideration of the context and book award and everything like this, we usually are able to you know, name business behaviors. So not always objectives, but a lot of time behaviors we want to see as 
hey, this is the bet. We want to do this because at the other end, we'll see something desirable for, for us. And this sources for us later the opportunity. So we start looking at this context, this experience, and we start looking at where the possible opportunities. So this is just going super wild. So this is, you can create 25 different diamonds. And then once we have those opportunities, we will initially probably like filter them to the best candidates somehow with some gut feeling, and then we would enter the diamonds. So we would try to size them to be able to compare and then discover further, probably experiment a bit. So a lot of times uh, at the end of the diamond, we'll just send a maze taste or ask more customers about much more educated things and never go into development at the end of the second diamond, just because we'll define of maybe different opportunity happened taking consideration this is like, you know, continuous process that has these checkpoints like weekly or bi-weekly. Girls, please add something. I, I'm yeah, no, I was, th I was thinking, <laughs> what, what I was thinking is that this makes sense because you will have like bigger opportunities in your tree. And then when you start trying to make this into solutions, you start finding that there are a lot of things that you don't know. So as well, it's like a, a tool for seeing the gaps and seeing what you still don't know when you try to take it to ground to the diamonds and start getting more into, into detail. Right, and I was gonna say that like, I mean, at, at some point we might think, oh, this is just a way of reorganizing the insights that you have and like phrasing it, but it's not just that, right? I think it's what we just discussed here. It's like, it's a good model that can help us really understand and see gaps and also connect to, of course we shouldn't overpopulate it. Like uh, <laughs> we, should, we should try to make it like concise, simple, you know, the, 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 I think the main objective here is the relationship between prob the opportunities at hand and solutions. So yeah. yes. And it's also a very good tool for the whole team to engage with it again, because it's very visual, it's very simple. So you can super quickly have the snapshot of what's going on in the discovery world. Or deliveries, right? So opportunity solution True. trees. Exactly, sorry. Yeah. So you can super easily track from what feature you're doing to why you're doing it. So even talking to stakeholders and trying to explain your strategy or discovery techniques right now, you can show what you're doing and what in time becomes even more valuable for this technique is showing what you're not gonna do. So this is this part about failing early on. So yes, this it may seem like, oh, now we'll be spending six months until we ship something. But at some moment you can see that, oh, uh, so I spent it six months debunking something that would cost me two years and this makes no sense. And I, during those six months, I was able to validate 33 ideas that would not fly and then find one that works. Extreme example does not happen that long usually, so it's weeks. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's just the time spender is really valuable in terms of not producing the, the waste. Um, yeah. Okay, I hope that helps. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we can jump to the next question from Michal, I assume. Yeah. Uh, how many people from the product team are usually involved throughout the whole process for a single problem and feature? Do you run multiple discoveries in parallel to put everyone's focus or put everyone's focus on uh, only one topic? Yeah, so, so as I said, we try to run it in parallel. Um, so both delivery and discovery. I would say for the discovery track, you need minimum of the 
trio mentioned in a book, but I don't also believe that trio is the right number. So uh, you need as many perspectives that can influence you as possible. So if you can have product engineering design, amazing. If you can have product data research and engineering, even better. And it's heavily depends on the, on the state of, and the context and the load of, of everybody at the given moment. So we may have meetings where we will really ask some developers to come and help us in discovery because we are about discussing technical feasibilities and things like this. Uh, sometimes we will not, but the meetings are always open. So I would say there is this minimal of three, maximum of whomever want to join. And there is this tip that more than four, you need facilitator because then the sessions become too complicated and, and the stages in the, in, the, in the diamond become too fuzzy. So you need a bit condensed group there. I was also uh, gonna say that here at Doc Planner, like apart from the people within the product teams, we have you know a research team where uh, each one of our researchers are in different product teams. And there's also this type of collaboration that happens a lot and it's great because we're bouncing back ideas so like sometimes when we're too focused and like too uh focused on a specific type of user and in flow uh, like the, the the focus point of our product team sometimes we don't see like the an outside view is very important so when you ask like how many people are usually involved i would even say that it's more than just the product team here and i think this is one of the the greatest parts, in my opinion, of just having like exchanges and having a, a support team, right? Based on the specialization and like the owners of each section of the diamond as, as Kunkel explained. Yep. Same case for, for design, Natasha. So we have our peer designers to gather feedback and also we have design system team who, you know, works on all the UI kit and design operations and everything, yeah. And when it comes to development, in my experience, depending if you want to have the team that it's really owner of themselves, for me, like ideal would be like four or five people. We've done it like up to more like seven, eight, even nine, but then it starts getting getting more messy. So what we normally try to do is to divide into two smaller solutions that may be attacking the same opportunity or, or close up opportunities. Yeah. yeah but, but keep the teams like the delivery teams super focused on one topic, but in mm -hmm. a small we don't want to, you know, it's a standard dilemma of a product owner, product manager in some of the cases. Like if I drop six backends on this on this problem, will it be six times faster? No, five of them probably going to mm. be, and then one will be coding because it's not that they're going to be coding every second line of code, the other person, no? So uh, we're trying to focus on, on one solution, as many people as possible there uh, as needed but trying to keep to this, you know, one pizza size teams and things like this. Um... Okay. Yeah, a comment from Michael that it does get messy with more people. Mm -hmm. And he thanks you for your answers. Thank okay, you very we, much. Yeah. yeah, we don't seem to have more questions. So uh, what do you guys say? We wrap the, start wrapping this thing up. Sounds yes, you. maybe we can also remind our audience that we are looking for product designers, <laughs> product managers, this is, researchers, this is smooth, if they want to join us. 
Uh, uh, we, we need to mention that we are always open for opportunities, so um, please feel free to check them. Natasha, actually, if we could get back to presentation and show the last slide, I would love to close with that one. So one thing is... Oh, yes, yes. We would love to involve you and invite you to, to check the planner and, and be aligned with what we have in our pipelines right now and for whom we are looking for. But also if you want to like continue discussion or have more questions or are interested in any of the bits and pieces that you heard from us today, uh, we will have a recording. It's gonna be public for you. We'll also upload it to the channel of our podcast. Uh, so the Two Facet podcast mentioned at the beginning. If we get the last slide, uh, we'll <laughs> you can do it. Natasha. I am working on it because I closed it, unfortunately. But here, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. So yes. we have links also in chat, and in a second you will see a QR code that if you use, um, you can you can join to us and, and and become a subscriber and listen to me and Honkal and some maybe other um, joiners into the future talking about how we approach product development. So. Exactly. Like Matt said, the recording would be available on our channel soon. So uh, follow us on social media, check out our page .planner.tech for opportunities and to learn more about us. Absolutely subscribe to this uh, fantastic podcast where you can hear more from uh, Matt and Hunkal explaining this complex stuff. And uh, on our behalf, we want to thank uh, everyone who attended this, um, this meetup for uh, showing up. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for spending your evening with us. And a huge thank you for our uh, speakers, panelists. This was a very complex topic, but uh, you managed to, the, the three of you were able to build a triple diamond digestive system to explain, yeah? Thank uh, you very much. Happy to hear. Glad that everybody came and thank you very all for thank you. Thank you all for coming today today and wanting to listen to us. Right. Stay tuned for more for more meetups in the future. Uh, yeah. I think that's that's a wrap. Thanks yeah, everyone. Um, stopping the recording. Yeah.